Hello, everyone. Welcome to Green Knight Podcast, Episode 4. I want to thank one of my listeners for a kind comment. It's my first comment. Coming from Steve in Utah, he said, I love the tone of Episode 1. Thanks a lot, Steve. It's much appreciated. There may be some question as to how to listen to the podcast. I'm sure most of you are veteran listeners, and you have your method, so it's easy for you. But if you have an Apple, you can search for me on iTunes. Uh, If you do that, please let me know, and if it's there, because it's supposed to be, and I just, I haven't looked yet. I don't have an Apple. Um, the best way probably would be to just download the Podbean podcast listening app. Um, I'm working on having the feed go out to all of the players, but as of yet, it doesn't seem to be working quite right. So, get an app, listen, if you don't have an Apple, right? Because, you know, all that shit's built in. Apple is phones for dummies. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. Um, anyway, so if you don't listen to podcasts, get it together because while you're shoveling or while you're weeding or while you're driving, you can basically be learning a lot of stuff. So get on it. This episode is a crux episode because... Um, I got sick, and so the days that I wanted to be working on this, I was just thinking about it instead. And I had some interesting thoughts. This podcast, though, I have created a brand for it, isn't about selling something. I don't have a target market. I haven't crafted my message for a certain segment or a demographic. If I had a target market, if you could define what my market is, then it's all of humanity. I'm not trying to make a dollar, but this information has been building up inside of me for a long time, and as it comes out in this format, if it seems valuable to to you, then please throw me a bone. This is about everyone. Again, I have no authority to say what is or what should be but a way to move into the next phase of human existence that includes everyone needs to be considered, and I have been considering it. I'm, a pro- I'm proposing a new system that does not require armed revolt. It does not require yellow vest protest. It does not require resistance. It only requires doing what's right and allowing everyone to be a part of it. And I will get to it. what I'm I will get to what I'm saying is the right thing to do. So keep listening, y'all. While I was sick, um, uh, this is what I was thinking about. So, um, a personal revelation of realizing that you have been fooled, that I have been fooled, What do you do? So I thought I had understood a lot of shit early on in my life, you know. But the real transformational moment was in 2000. And since then I have looked deeper and have come to know that there is a trap at every level of understanding. At the formulation of each more complete image of the world, there is a tendency to think that you have it figured out now. But that is not the case, and it is never the case. There is always more. There is always another plateau to approach. The level that I am allows me to see a way out for everyone. But how do you tell other people that they have been fooled? How do you tell other people they are missing so much? I had said I will not formulate my message to be palatable to any group except humanity as a whole. But people don't like hearing they have been fooled. No one likes it. 
there is no roundabout way to present that that does not, in the end, say just that, that you have been hoodwinked. The only way to approach solutions is to know the context of the problem. And people become what they behold. The only way to edge in on that is to become visible in some way. So here I was wondering if I should even continue at all. I was considering just quitting this whole project. It was a near thing, but I will continue to share. There is something wrong, but it isn't what we are being told is wrong. My target audience is everyone, because everyone, for the most part, is being fooled. No one wants to hear that. But I'm going to say it anyway and propose a solution. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. If you find yourself triggered, and if that word triggered triggers you, then tap yourself on the shoulder. Say, yeah, I am strong enough to listen to this. Conversely, if you hear what I'm saying and you're like, yes, then also get ready because there's information in here that's going to challenge your worldview. The pursuit of knowledge never stops. I'm planting a seed, and it's not from hubris. What creative potential we have inside of us, we have to let it out. I would plant this seed in all of your minds, if you will allow it. I'm proposing a new way to organize that does not require central control, a new and better way that does not require authority to enforce. It will be in accordance with nature, and people will want it because it will be good and valuable to them. One of the stories we are being told is that people are a cancer on the earth, that we are like yeast. We will mindlessly, mindlessly multiply until we perish in our own waste. Regular people did not and do not make the decisions that rape the natural world for profit. But if we are a cancer, we can become healthy and be in alignment again with the earth. We can do this and also become free. To remove the blinders is the first step. To truly begin to see, you have to shed all attachment to your perceived identity. You are not a member of any group but humanity. There is a way to change course without learning the hard way. I would prefer to not learn the hard way, and I know you would too. There is a way to do it, but it isn't what you think it is. Keep listening to find out. I have to clarify a few things about the last episode. It's funny that I chose to critique Joe Rogan right when he was in the news. Um, I wanted to talk about what he said and how he responded to the criticism and the praise. For him endorsing uh, Bernie on his show. Um, his endorsement of Bernie is huge and it's massive. I think it's a little bit, I think uh, it's put Joe off a little bit because of how, show, how big his show is. I don't think he ever wanted his show to be so big. You know how he calls himself a meathead and everything even though he's pretty fucking smart. He didn't want to be responsible how, for how people think. I don't think he did. This is kind of what he's putting out. Um, which is why I think he's backed off some of his more controversial stuff. And I don't like that. You know, I like him to bring on the interesting guests. Uh, I don't give a fuck, really, about fighting. And uh, the comedians, uh, some of them are pretty good, but I just, I just don't feel it on most of them. So last week I said he was wrong about competition. And it's not like he, he is purposely, I mean, I have to amend a little bit what I was saying about him. I was saying that he had um, a narrative. <clears throat> But that narrative is a, um, 
general consensus, the narrative that competition is what fuels innovation. Um, everyone thinks that, so why wouldn't Joe think that too? But yeah, it's just a common perception. Uh, competition, that competition is the mechanism that makes things better. And I wanted to address it again in this section. Um, because of what happened to Joe Rogan last week. He endorsed Bernie Sanders, and it's funny because all of the establishment are using that endorsement to try to hurt Bernie, you know, saying Joe is a misogynist and a bigot because of some of the stuff he said on his show. But um, everyone says stupid shit sometimes, and you can't um, cancel people for making mistakes or saying stuff that was in poor taste or maybe could have framed, been framed better. If it's a premeditated part of your presentation, that's when it becomes a problem. I think that it's unfair because the DNC are a bunch of fucktards, it's pretty obvious. And don't get me wrong. So is the RNC. Democrats and Republicans. Fucking idiots, man. And this is kind of what I'm talking about. Joe's show is big, which is why um, everyone freaked out. Because he does influence people. I think Bernie is a good guy. Uh, I also think Joe Rogan is a pretty good guy. But I think both of them are underinformed. I mean, it t takes a lot to say that about um, a guy like Bernie Sanders. He's been so consistent. And that's one of the things that people say is good about him. That he's had the same message for four decades. Since the 60s. And it's relevant to what I was saying before in the aspect of our Groundhog Day predicament. Because, right, he was a young man right then, and that's where all of his ideas, or that's where the foundation of his ideas come from, from that time period. And also, that's where McLuhan was writing his books. That's what, when Alan Watts was doing his teachings, that's when... Noam Chomsky was really starting to uh, shake things up. But, and stay with me, y'all. Um, I have a feeling that as cool as Bernie is, it may be that he's just playing a part, like all the other fucktards up there in the puppet show, because... The puppet show needs a guy like Bernie to make it seem more legit. I know some of you are like right now, God damn it, he's one of those guys. Green Knight is one of those guys that thinks that voting doesn't do anything. But stay with me, okay? Because it'll all come out in the wash. Stay with me because I have the alternative. Bernie's not the alternative, you guys. I'm going to vote for him because he appears to be on my side. But we'll see what happens. There'll be some shit going down in the world this year. And you'll be like, oh my god. We need to take a look at what Green Knight was saying again. Because this may be the only way we can avoid being locked into a technocratic panopticon. Look it up. Panopticon. We aren't free now. And it'll only get worse if we don't take the proper action. I want to say... Real quick, that if things are good for you now, like if your life is good, then why should you care that our society may become more rigid, more homogenized, more total, the control of our behaviors? Because we are meant to be free, and what we have is not freedom. Okay. So, Elemental 
to what I will be discussing is what I began last week when I was critiquing Joe Rogan. The issue of competition versus cooperation is at the core of our, how our society functions. Obviously, the functioning of society at this moment is lacking, meaning it's not functioning properly. Large numbers of people are being marginalized, and the management of resources is being botched. Having said that, can we all agree? Is that not right, you guys? Can we all agree that society right now, today, is broken? Last time I discussed cooperation versus competition with regards to products because Joe was talking about competition leading to improvements, um, to competition being the root of all innovation. And one thing that I said that I wanted to clarify is that products in the environment of public opinion are subject to uh, a kind of competition for sure. They compete for the attention of the public, and those products that win the attention become household names, while the others drift into obscurity. So in comparison, people can determine what's better, and a large number of people will get it right in a straight-up functional comparison. However, perception of value can be manipulated. In fact, what we are discussing on this show is how perception is altered by our products, and this is something that happens involuntarily and without much consideration except in hindsight. But there is an effect on public perception that can have a very strong influence, and it is created through story storytelling. In effect, the perception of value can be directed and guided by advertising, which is storytelling. So last time when I was saying that products compete in the market, that is true. However, the perception of value can be adjusted. And that's how you get the group or the public or the masses to purchase a crappy product. As an example, most of us buy into information that comes from so-called credible sources, like doctors, Remember, have you guys seen the ads from the 50s with doctors promoting cigarettes? This is storytelling to sell a product that is detrimental. Is it starting to make sense now? This subject is again at the core of what I will be addressing, and you can start to see that this is where part of the problem resides. Left to our own devices, human beings will get it right because they can tell what's good and what isn't. For the most part, barring being affected by clever storytelling, what I'm saying here is that there is a kind of collective perception that is at work, and it's it can be trustworthy. When everyone is deciding together what's good, no one person can take credit. We all do it together. It is based on our human beings natural ability to perceive one thing from another. This ability was granted to us over time as we developed in the natural environment. It is natural discernment. With regards to competition between individuals inside society, then we have something different going on. There is a criteria in place that may not be so honest, not so natural. Competition in society is not based on natural criteria. It is based on an artificial construct that promotes a system of control. This is what I will be getting at. This is where the yoke is placed on all of us as we grow up. In order to arrive at a solution, we have to see the problem. This show isn't about conspiracy, but it is about being able to see what is happening. And they, the owners of our society, because there are owners, would lead us down a dark path. It is not a conspiracy theory to say that there are owners of our society. When in discussion of these types of things, people will use the word they. They don't want us to know that. They keep us in the dark. They have an agenda. Often the question gets asked, who is they?
And the answer is the owners of our society. Cooperation is a force multiplier. People using their powers of discernment choose chose cooperation over the alternative because it improved their chances of survival. Human beings are social creatures and cooperation is natural for them. Competition comes into play when an individual or individuals take control of the power generated through the numbers of cooperation. Competition comes into play when an individual or individuals use the threat of violence to force compliance from the group. Competition in society is a contest for control. It is not a driver of innovation. The motivation for innovation is not dominance, but to be of value to the group. The more people that are involved in the generation of value accelerates the rate of innovation. If you have ever rented a U-Haul, a large-sized U-Haul, to move your furniture and belongings, then you know that installed on the engine is a device called a governor. A governor controls the maximum acceleration of the vehicle. The owners of our society have installed a governor on it in the form of competition. For human beings, cooperation is more effective as a survival mechanism than competition. So, as I was saying before, um, in an environment of competition, cooperation allows innovation to happen. It is obvious that without cooperation, we would not even be here. Intra-societal competition is an artificial construct designed to elevate some members of society over others. This artificial selection of merit promotes a system of control that allows for imbalance in the circulation of energy and resources. This leads to a top-heavy body of society that periodically will collapse. Healthy competition in society takes the form of competition between ideas. Competition between individuals and grouped groups diminishes the overall level of contribution by counting some people out. This subject is nuanced and we will revisit it many times on the show as we move forward. Last time I discussed movements in society and in art, and I had said there had been no real movements since 69. I wanted to talk about this again because I think people would be able to bring up some names of movements, such as the Occupy Wall Street movement. It's a valid and important movement, however not sustained and not disseminated worldwide. I would say that the definition of a movement requires that it go worldwide. Occupy had some very interesting elements and qualities, but in the end it fizzled quite dramatically. The question is why? Why didn't this go all the way? Because it had all the requirements needed to bring down the establishment and set up a new system. My opinion is that Occupy Wall Street the Occupy Wall Street movement wasn't showing, was showing diminishing returns from the get-go, and people need momentum in order to stay with something. The momentum somehow got stalled out. Um, Occupy um, ended up kind of just being a tiny blip on the screen, and we need something bigger and it isn't going to take the form of an armed resistance or protesting in the street because as we will get to a little bit later on in the podcast we talk about I will revisit the idea that resistance just adds credibility and validity to the opposition 
the solution is to not form up against our oppressors. The solution is in turning away from them because we do not need them. As far as art movements go, yeah, I mean, I don't have to do any more explanation because there haven't been any fucking art movements since the modern movement. Um, pop art, I guess you could say, was uh, something, but I mean, it's really just a taking the images of advertising and converting it. I suppose we could talk about that more, but really, um, the modern movement was about form follows function, and now we have form, the form language of objects being disconnected from any function and being devoted entirely to triggering the viewer emotionally. I suppose you could call this a movement, but it hasn't been given a name because this is a device of storytelling and the advertising industry. If it was given give it a name, it would call attention to the fact that we are being manipulated. So, yeah, and movements coincide with technological innovation. And we're living through the radical innovation of computer technology and the internet. The final extension of our bodies and the most significant to date. Um, so where is that art movement? Where is it, you guys? What I will discuss today in the meat of the podcast is the Greek myth of Narcissus. And this will address the way in which our technology or our media puts us in a trance and cause us, causes us to be unconscious operators. The last time I was discussing the internet and its potential to be instrument, instrumental in our own salvation, this is absolutely the case, but we need to be able to see the ways in which it can be used for good. One of the ways to arrive at that viewpoint is to come to the understanding that the internet is ours. It is our tool, and we should be able to use it to ensure the creative contribution of everyone to our society. Ironically, computers software and automation will allow for the contribution of everyone and not as they would like us to think the removal of opportunity to work you know like robots taking our jobs okay so this is episode four and we will be discussing how our media or our technology being the extensions of ourselves or our body, our bodies puts us in a kind of a trance. McLuhan uh, plays this out quite well in his book, Understanding Media, and references Shakespeare and James Joyce. His commentary on Joyce's Finnegan's Wake shows why that book is such an important piece of literature perhaps will illuminate a dark spot in the understanding of the book. Just as Joyce has been made out to be an acquired taste, so has McLuhan. This is evident currently by the noted neo-rationalist named Sam Harris. Um, I was going to critique Sam Harris in this episode, but I think I have to do it next time or the time after. Okay, let's begin to discuss McLuhan and the myth of Narcissus.
Last time and in other episodes, I was talking about how language and word meanings being altered over time so that the actual root of the word is lost and or hidden. This is the case in the Greek myth of Narcissus. This is where we get the word narcissist. If you look up the word, you will find this definition. Narcissist. The admiration of one's idealized self-image. The term originated from the Greek mythology where the young Narcissus fell in love with his own image reflected in a pool of water. That's the definition. It is not mentioned in the myth that he fell in love with his own image. However, it says that he was transfixed by it, which is not the same. Quote, Narcissus as Narcosis. The Greek myth of Narcissus is directly, directly concerned with a fact of human experience. As the word Narcissus indicates, it is from the Greek word Narcosis, or numbness, unquote. So immediately there is the reference of the concept of numbness in his name itself, which is derived from the Greek word narcosis. That's it right there in the word. Quote, the young, the youth Narcissus mistook his own reflection in the water for another person, unquote. Not himself. It wasn't, he didn't know it was himself. It is fairly obvious that this myth has been misinterpreted just from the connection from the Greek word narcosis with Narcissus's name. The idea portrayed by the poet Ovid is that Narcissus would live to be old if he never came to know himself. The misconception here, obviously, is the idea that having seen his own reflection, that he came to know himself and therefore did not live to be old. So this is a mistaken interpretation of the myth. And it is very pervasive. It's in all of our culture, you guys. All of the definitions. Pretty interesting. Quote, This extension of himself by mirror numbed his perceptions until he became the servo-mechanism of his own extended or repeated image. Unquote. Uh, servo mechanism, you guys, a device that in connection and in feedback loop with um, keeps another device working properly. So here we have a physical property of a reflection that is a novelty. It is new. It has never been witnessed before. This new and previously unperceived representation is the source of Narcissus's fascination, sending him into a trance-like state. Quote, the nymph Echo tried to win his love with fragments of his own speech, but in vain. He was numb. He had adapted to his extension of himself and had become a closed system. Unquote. And here is where we get the word echo, because the nymph named Echo could only repeat words that she'd heard from another and not form her own communications. There is something here that may be the most important part of the story. The young female nymph has fallen in love with Narcissus, but she cannot tell him so and can only cleverly repeat words in a sequence devised by her, but still only using the words that she has heard Narcissus say himself. What is the message here? Let's look at it. First of all, she is deeply in love. She cannot express it, and she can only echo to communicate her feelings. If you have studied Joseph Campbell, you know that he was a student of Carl Jung and Jung described the myth as being an, an expression of the collective unconscious. A myth being a story that is spoken from the silent mouth of the masses to the masses. Quote, 
Now the point of this myth is the fact that men at once become fascinated by any extension of themselves in any material other than themselves. Unquote. Echo was a nymph of the forest. She loved being part of the natural world. That had many things to offer, notwithstanding joyful experience. It is my thought that Echo here represents the proverbial forest, simultaneously a mystery and a gift. She loves man, but can only echo his sentiments. She would attempt to get his attention using his own words, but cannot because he is transfixed, not by himself, but by his own extension in the form of a reflection. It is easy to see how the error here can be made, and my mind wants to say that it is a purposeful misrepresentation, so that the true meaning here cannot be garnered. I get upset, you guys, sometimes. I get fucking pissed. And I know it does me no good. But there's this whole thing, this whole effect that's happening, and I'm trying to bring it to light, and it is being completely missed, completely overlooked, not talked about. Is it brushed under the rug? Is it veiled? Is it obscured on purpose? Or is it that we are narcissists, and we cannot see beyond our own extensions? This is what Marshall was alluding to, that there is this effect from our technology, from the extensions of ourselves. And uh, some of us know some, and I wouldn't say there are people because how could you do this? How 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 could you do this? Um, some know this effect and are taking advantage of the narcosis created by our technology and using it against us. Some know the effects of our technology and how it turns us unconscious and would keep us in a state, in that state, until it's too late. And until we are on the lake side, as Narcissus was, in despair, having realized too late how we have wasted all of our chances. Period. Quote, There have been cynics who insisted that men fall in deepest love with women who give them back their own image. Be that as it may, the wisdom of the Narcissus myth does not convey any idea that Narcissus fell in love with anything he regarded as himself. Unquote. Narcissus was proud, but does being prideful mean that you are in love with yourself? Does hubris mean that you are in love with yourself? More, hubris is an overinflated sense of self-importance. It is an inflated sense of how others see you and your significance in the world. Quote, obviously, he would have had a... He, Quote, obviously he would have had very different feelings about the image had he known it was an extension or repetition of himself, unquote. This is a Greek myth, so we have to think about the classical time period. Um, it was really the beginning of technology. Um... It was in this infancy of technological innovation that man found himself in at that time. To me, it is similar to a monkey that has found a shard of a mirror and seeing himself in it does not know that it's himself. Man was only just discovering his reflection, only just beginning to create technology and was not aware that the reflection was in fact an, an extension of himself. Quote, it is perhaps indicative of the bias of our intensely technological and therefore narcotic culture that we have long interpreted the Narcissus story to mean that he fell in love with himself, that he imagined the reflection to be Narcissus. Unquote. Here, the word nar narcotic just means numb, as we have already discussed. Narcissus, knowing consciously that it is his own image, would not produce the state of shock that he finds himself in. Quote, Psychologically, there are abundant reasons for an extension of ourselves involving us in a state of numbness. Unquote. 
The reflection or doubling is an amplification. The sudden intensification of sense induces a state of shock. The nervous system, when surprised, will self-amputate the offended sense to minimize damage or trauma. Quote, this is the sense of the narcissist myth. The young man's image is a self-amputation or extension induced by irritating pressures. Unquote. Technology as an extension of our bodies, for all intents and purposes, replaces the part of the body that has been extended, extended and amplifies it. Then that part of the body is auto-amputated and relegated, suppressed. Quote, as counter-irritant, the images produce the image produces a generalized numbness or shock that declines recognition. Self-amputation forbids self-recognition. The sudden amplification of a part of our body or a sense organ of our body is as if we suddenly heard a really loud noise. In these events, when we get surprised by a loud noise, the human body will shut off its ability to hear. Right? Think about it. If we were to recognize our technology as ourselves, as our own reflection, perhaps then we would not suppress the part of the body that the technology has extended, and perhaps then we would not go numb in the face of it. Quote, Any invention or technology is an extension or self-amputation of our physical bodies and such extension also demands new ratios or new equilibriums among other organs and extensions of the body." Unquote. As it is and up to this point, the new ratios of our senses created by our technology have been as surprising and shocking that it is our technology itself. Break, break. As it is and up to this point, the new ratios of our senses created by our technology have been as surprising and shocking as I have just been describing in discussion of McLuhan's analysis of the myth of Narcissus. In this final expansion, we have extended our nervous system in the form of the internet. Perhaps we can become aware of the effects of all the extensions of our bodies and the effects that they have created in us and in society. Our shock and numbness to the amplification of our bodies due to our technology need not carry on, although it seems to be in full effect at the moment. Quote, As an extension and an expediter of sense life, any medium at once affects the entire field of the senses. As the psalmist explained long ago in the 113th Psalm, their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes they have, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses they have, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet they have, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them shall be like unto them, yea, every one that trusteth in them. The concept of idol for the Hebrew psalmist is much like that of, the, of Narcissus for the Greek mythmaker. And the psalmist insists that the beholding of idols or the use of technology conforms men to them. They that make them shall be like unto them. This is a simple fact of sense closure. Quote, to behold, use, or perceive any extension of ourselves in technological form is necessarily to embrace it. Unquote. 
We embrace our technology, but we cannot recognize it. We become it, but not, but are not aware that it is our proxy, and we have given ourselves over to it. Quote, to listen to radio or to read the printed page is to accept these extensions of ourselves into our personal system and undergo the closure or displacement of perception that follows automatically. It is this conscious embrace of our own technology in daily use that puts us in the narcissus role of subliminal awareness and numbness in relation to these images of ourselves. By continuously embracing technologies, we relate ourselves to them as servo-mechanisms. That is why we must, to use them at all, serve these objects, these extensions of ourselves as gods." Unquote. The role of Echo in the Narcissus myth is the natural world. We have unconsciously disconnected ourselves from our source. And I would ask the listeners to keep this in mind for when we discuss the myth or the Arthurian legend of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. This disconnection has happened, and so demonizing technology, which was the origin of this disconnect, is not the right approach. We have now arrived at the final extension of our bodies that has the potential to return us to operation in full harmony with each other and our environment. Not being aware of this potential will allow us to be trapped at our current stage and not transcend to the next level. So when I said previously that there is a delay or a stalling occurring in our development, it is being done to us. The stalling is to use our extensions of ourselves against us to trap us. We cannot allow this to happen, and in order to prevent it, we have to remove ourselves from our technological trance. How can we do this? Quote, the principle of numbness comes into play with electronic, with electric technology, as with any other. We have to numb our central nervous system when it is extended and exposed, or we will die. Thus, the age of anxiety and of electric media is also the age of unconscious and of apathy. But, it is also, strikingly, the age of consciousness of the unconscious. With our central nervous system strategically numbed, the tasks of conscious awareness and order are transferred to the physical life of man, so that for the first time he has become aware of technology as an extension of his physical body. Apparently, this could not have happened before the electric age gave us the means of instant total field awareness. With such awareness, the subliminal life, private and social, has been picked up into full view and offers a philosophy of structures rather than categories and of total social involvement instead of the bourgeois spirit of individual separateness or points of view. In the electric age, we wear all mankind on our skin." Unquote. I will remind the listener again that when McLuhan says electric media, he really just means the internet. Since he was writing in the 60s, at the same time as Alan Watts, who said that humanity was at a dead end, the idea of this dead end was from the concept of unconscious apathy. As I was saying before, this is when it all started. It is true, we cannot have our nerves hanging out all over the place and not numb them. With this numbing comes what McLuhan refers to as the appearance of apathy. However, conversely, because of the nature of the internet or the exposure of our nervous system, it also has the opposite effect or quality of restoring conscious awareness to our physical life as it was pre-technology, allowing us to see to become aware of our reflection as our self. To break the trance, so to speak, before it's too late, is the importance of the internet. It gives us, as McLuhan says, instant and total field awareness. Additionally, it can break down the idea of individual separateness, but not our uniqueness. Keep that in mind. 
it can break down the idea of individual separateness or points of view or as we like to say today break down the barriers between tribes the stalling effect comes when we are too focused on the content of the medium that is currently amplifying and ramping up tribal differences quote failure in perception occurs precisely in giving attention to the program content of our media while ignoring the form unquote you break the trance by recognizing the content of a narrative as designed to trigger our emotions. It's too easy to point the fig finger. There are some psychos out there, and they are not human. They don't have empathy. But most of us are just being fooled by our preferred narrative. narrative. If you set out to be a better person by practicing non-judgment and then immediately start judging people because they are judging people, then you've missed the point. We are all in this together. We can't afford to fight each other over this bullshit stories that we are being told. Most of us are being fooled, and if we do not realize it, we will end up like Narcissus, having missed an opportunity to run through the forest with Echo and instead die emaciated and in despair. It doesn't have to go down like that. Stay tuned for episode five. Green Knight out.